fires me up. What can I say? I'm ready to go. Let's talk about the epic story. Uh, I'm really glad you're here today. Good to see you. We're in our fourth week of a nine-part series aiming to help us connect with and understand the epic story that God is telling in the Bible, and that continues uh, in the present day and on into the future. And we are going to start picking up the pace. We've spent three weeks, uh, well, two, the last two weeks in the first three chapters of Genesis, and we're going to need to really pick up the pace. Because if we don't, it's going to be a hundreds of parts uh, message series, and we'll be here till. Well, we'll we'll maybe we have time. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we do. Anyway, you get the get the point. We're going to start picking up the pace. We're going to fast forward a little bit today, and then uh, pick up the pace as we go along. Week one, we looked at a story that resonates, and we launched on Easter Sunday. By focusing on the greatest events in human history, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, and we saw how Jesus uh, helped two followers after his crucifixion and resurrection connect the dots from the very beginning of Scripture to his uh, death on the cross and, and resurrection. It really turned lights on for them. And so that's what we're trying to do in this series is Go back to the very beginning and connect dots all the way to the cross and the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Week two, we looked at grand opening. And uh, in creation, what we saw is uh, God's heart for the people that he's made, uh, why we're made, the purpose of him creating men and women, and the incredible power that was displayed in that. And then week three, we looked at how things began to fall apart. Uh, last week we looked at, this was last week, we looked at the problem of evil and saw the Bible's clear and logical explanation of why things are falling apart and why the world is the way it is. And in that message last week, we, we looked at how even though Adam and Eve rebelled and broke through the boundaries God had set up, he reveals his love and plan to redeem the world to make it possible to restore the relationship with him that has been broken. This is an incredible thing. In, in that, last week, we saw that God handed out consequences for the rebellion that were connected to both relationships, family relationships, and work. And there's trouble and frustration now in both that God intends to drive us back to him, to take us, to bring us back to him, to turn to him for help. And this, this is a part of our everyday lives. This week, for instance, the internet connection at my house was spotty. And um, that creates a tremendous amount of frustration because you can't do anything in this world without an internet connection. And I wish that I could say I calmly just turned to God and asked him for help. And realize that there are ways to get things done without an internet connection. But I was frustrated. There's a little turmoil going on inside. That turmoil should remind us to turn to God and trust Him with whatever's going on. That's that's a very small thing, but in the in the larger thing, the larger struggles and trouble that we're going through, God wants us to turn to Him. 
So we looked at that last week and found in, in that fall, in the rebellion of men and women, God shows his heart of love for the people he made. This is what he wants. He wants to, to love people, to bless them, and then for them to freely return that love and blessing back to him. This is all wrapped up in why we were made. A- after describing the fall of man, Genesis 4, now we're in the next chapter. We, we, this is, we're on four chapters. We're really screaming along here. Um, but in Genesis 4, you see the first sacrificial offerings that are made to God. They're made by Cain and Abel, two sons of Adam and Eve. And the way the account is written, it's a study in contrast between the two offerings that are made. Here's how they're described. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Now, it's not explained in this passage. But somehow these two men had been taught, probably by mom and dad, Adam and Eve, they had been taught that it's right to honor God with a sacrificial offering out of the income of your labor, out of what you produce. Abel's offering is accepted. Being a shepherd, he gave the best of the firstborn lambs in his flock. Cain's offering is rejected. And the way it says it here is he gave, he was a farmer and he gave some of his crops. So you get the idea that Cain gave some of the leftovers. He just picked some out, gave some of the leftovers to God. Now there are a couple of lessons we take away from this description here in the event. I want us to log these into our minds. First of all, an offering that costs us something is pleasing to God. Secondly, it pleases God to, to stretch, to give him the best and first of our income. Hebrews in the New Testament, often in the New Testament, looks back and it explains the events and what happened in the, in the first part of the Bible. And Hebrews is a book that does that. Hebrews explains that Abel's offering was accepted because it grew out of faith. It came from faith. And so Cain, you, you find out the, the motivation, the problem was the motivation of some kind or, or what Cain was doing in offering this to God. He gave him some of the leftovers. Didn't didn't really cost him much to do that. A pattern here begins to emerge in Scripture through the lives of the people in in it. God keeps asking people to give more than we think we can in faith. He he wants us to give more than we think we can afford. And this is true in my own walk with God. He keeps stretching me to be more and more generous with the things he, he gives me. And secondly, when you give, he provides much more than you can imagine in response to our gifts. He, he takes care. You can read the whole story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. It's quite a tale. Cain commits the first murder right after this out of jealousy of his brother and uh, out of anger, envy, and all of that. You can read it in, in Genesis 4. 
We're going to start skipping ahead a little bit here. As you read through the Bible, what becomes clear is that God keeps pursuing a friendship with the people he made in spite of their rebellion. We were made so that we could be known by God and so that we could know him. And like I said, if you read between the lines of the creation account, you see that God made people so that he could enjoy their friendship and so that people could freely return his love and know him as well. This is healthy. It's healthy when someone shows love to you, kindness to you, and then you want to return it to them. You you give it back to them. You give back to them. <clears throat> That's a healthy thing. When people rebelled and were separated from him, God made a plan to make it possible to restore the friendship between men and women and himself. And we'll see a key element of his plan to restore that relationship in, in a moment. But we're going to fast forward to a story today that reveals a core element of God's plan to re- redeem and restore us into a relationship with him. Now, we're screaming past the story of Noah. A lot of people know the story of Noah. There have been a couple movies made about it. This last one, I understand. I got word that it was way out there. So I, I didn't want to take the time to watch it. I haven't seen it, but it, it just, they took a lot of liberties with the story, and I understand it was way off. But most of us know the story of um, Noah, or many of us do. Um, he was the only righteous and blameless, not perfect, man on the earth, and he walked with God. That's how he's described in Scripture. Uh, He was the only one on earth who did this, who walked with God, who was blameless and righteous. God commands Noah to build an ark. He brings a pair of every animal into the ark to preserve them. The flood comes. Uh, Noah and his family are saved, along with the animals. And then Noah does something interesting. Immediately after the rain subsides, the floods subside, he offers a sacrifice to God to honor him, to thank him. This is... This is a normal response when we are blessed, is to want to give back, to, to honor God in a sacrifice. But again, you can, you can read all about that. What's interesting is if you go back, archaeologists and uh, such, they, there's, there's a point at which they call it the Cambrian Explosion. There's a point in which if you look at what's happening in, in the layers of the earth, life explodes from that port, for, uh, point for the fossil records and everything that, that, you know, traces the animals and things. It explodes at one point. It, it, would, it would line up with Scripture as, as there was a flood and then, boom, all the fossils explode. And show up again. <clears throat> so, anyway, uh, that's that's a story to get into. You can read about that in Genesis. <clears throat> excuse me, Genesis six and eight, six through eight, and around there. In these early chapters of the Bible, we begin to see a pattern repeat itself. Mankind rebels, and God pursues. 
And man responds to God's grace with a sacrifice that pleases him. Sacrifice, giving something valuable to God, becomes the right response to God's grace and his kindness and his patience. Sacrifice is at the heart of God's plan to redeem the world. That's what we see in Scripture. In Genesis 12, God starts a centuries-long process of working to build a people and a nation through whom he intends to reveal himself and his plan for redemption to the rest of the world. Starts with one man, Abraham. Genesis 12 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, shall, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you see this heart of God. He's going to take one man, build a nation from that one man, and then his heart is to reach through that nation to the rest of the world. When Abraham received this promise, he was 75 years old and childless. God gives him the promise that he's going to build, make him into a great nation. He had no kids. His wife Sarah was barren. God instructs him to go to a land, he says, that I will show you. And Abraham takes off. He, he, makes, he starts heading out to that land. This faith re- reflex of Abraham becomes legendary. He's, he's referred to as the, the father of our faith. He's, he, is, he is one of those who, when God ex- asked him to do something, no questions asked. He just did it. And so Abraham's 75, and he treks 400 miles across the Arabian desert to Canaan where God shows him the land and says, to your offspring, I will give this land. So this this is what he does. God makes this promise. Like I said, Abraham's 75. He and Sarah have no kids. So, you know, Abraham could have thought, offspring? Did you say offspring? (laughs) I have none. (laughs) I ain't got none. But in Genesis 15, he's, he's followed God to this place. God asks Abraham to step outside the tent. He shows him the stars. And this is, I I believe it's the picture you see on your program. He shows him the stars. And he says, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Abraham believes God. He trusts him. About 25 years after that moment, Isaac is born. Abraham's 100. The promise is fulfilled. seems like it's a straight path to the promise being fulfilled of descendants, offspring, a nation that will bless the world through whom God will show the world himself. This child is clearly the one whom God promised so he could raise up the nation. But God then directs Abraham to do something that brings us back to the theme of sacrifice. And in this story, he's, he's revealing, in Abraham's life, he's revealing more of his plan to redeem the world through sacrifice. This, this is what God is doing through this nation that he's building. He's, 
He's revealing his plan of salvation to the rest of the world. Now, the story gets very difficult to read, like watching a 48 hours or a dateline. I don't know if you ever watch those, um, but they're hard to watch. They're kind of grisly at times and grim. And this, this story gets that way. It's, it's, it's hard to read, like those star stories are hard to watch. And it's difficult to understand exactly what's going on. But the outcome of this story is all good. And it elevates our understanding of what God wants from us and what he's doing in the world. So this is what God says. Sometime later, it says in Genesis 22, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. Here here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. As I mentioned, hard to read. Confusing. Seems absurd. Abraham's faith, though, was legendary. He trusted God completely. There was nothing more precious to Abraham than Isaac. Now he was being asked to give him up. This is the ultimate test for Abraham. And a picture that God was painting of what it will require of himself to redeem the world. This is like real life performance art. I'm not that art, art, artsy. Okay. So performance art, you look at it and you think, okay, that's interesting. You know, it's where people are doing things and telling a story in the art. I'm not, I, I should stop what I was just doing and I'm going to, but anyway, you, you, you see it and like Lady Gaga. Okay. I don't agree with her message, but she, when she performs this performance art, she's got everything lines up with what she's saying and saying, and it's got this message in it and you walk away. Okay. That was an experience. Well, this is what God is doing through Abraham's real life. He's showing Abraham and all of us who can read it, the story, what he's doing. He's giving a picture. He's, he's communicating some deep truths in his life and for us to take away. Abraham doesn't delay. He immediately starts out to find the place where God directed him. He was old, more than 100. Probably like 120, 125 at this point. Maybe, maybe 115. I don't, we don't know how, how old Isaac is. Very wealthy. One of the wealthiest men in the world of his day. And he chose to saddle his own donkey. I'm sure he had servants to do that for him and chop the wood for the offering himself. He's probably working out the stress of the situation. He's just doing what he needs to do to get going. He sees, he, he, he heads off and then in his journey, he sees the place where God told him to go in the distance and he prepares to make his offering. Abraham took the word wood for the burnt offering placed it on his son Isaac, and he carried him 
And he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Specifically, Abraham here says, Jehovah Jireh, it's Hebrew, for God my provider. This is an ultimate expression of faith in what was likely the most daunting moment of Abraham's life. He trusted God. Even when it looked like God was going to take the very one he loved so much, he trusted. He trusted him to provide. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. This was only a test. The boy was never going to die. God was never going to require that he sacrifice his son. But God wants to know. Here's a man that he's building this nation out of to get to the world, to communicate to the world all about himself, his commands, who he is, his plan of salvation. And so he needed to know that to Abraham, God was the most important thing. He wants to know from us, will we withhold anything from him or put anything before him? This is, a, this is a message to us. Look at what happens next. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Here's the heart of what this story is all about. God is slowly revealing his plan to redeem the world and restore the world into a relationship with him. God's plan involves sacrifice. It involves sacrificing a son, his own son, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross to be the sacrifice for our sins. This is the plan of God. This is like I said, this is like performance art, real life art, it's, but it's real life. And God is showing us a look forward to the cross of Christ in this story. It's interesting that Abraham was instructed to take a three-day walk to get to the place where he was to go to perform the sacrifice. It said that it was in the region of Moriah. Tradition locates Calvary, where Jesus was sacrificed on Mount Moriah. The exact site where God sent Abraham to offer that sacrifice. Looking back, you can see that God was pointing to the sacrifice of his own son on the cross in the same place. He was, he was sending a message. 
through the life and the story here that Abraham, that Moses tells about Abraham. The difference between Jesus and Isaac, when God placed his son on the altar, no one stopped the hand of those who crucified him. He sacrificed his life for us. This, this is at the heart of God's story of redemption for ourselves. God did this. He sacrificed his own son to provide a way for us to be right with him. The best and only blameless, truly blameless person, perfect person, died for our sins. He took our place. And those who trust him with their life now, when we give our lives back to him, to follow him and trust him, we are redeemed, which means we are bought back. We are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is at the heart of the story of God redeeming the world. This is what he's communicating. The lesson we take away from Abraham's example of faith is that God is pleased when we offer to him what's most valuable to us. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus showed us through his death on the cross that the greatest kind of love you can have involves sacrifice. Where you sacrifice for the one you love. We, we, love, we love God by giving what's most valuable to him, by giving it up to him. We love others by sacrificing for them, those we, that are close to us, those we're responsible for. We, we know that this is at the heart of love because this is what we see God doing, sacrificing for, on our behalf. It touches our heart when we see someone sacrifice, doesn't it? One of my favorite movies, I just like to give a little quick picture of how this how this touches us. One of our favorite movies is Cinderella Man. And it's a story about a boxer who is uh, trying to help his family through the depression. They don't have, they're very extremely poor. They barely have food enough to survive and they have to ration out their food. And uh, there's a scene here where his daughter is hungry and she has a little piece of food, you know, she has a little piece of bologna. And that, that sort of gets to me. I love bologna. And, but she wants more bologna. And everybody has their little piece of bologna. And I'd like you to see what happens. Mama, I want some more. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I need to save some for the boys. I dreamed last night that I was having dinner at the Ritz with Mickey Rooney and George Raft. Really? Yeah. I dreamed I had a steak. A oh. thick, juicy steak. Oh. Like this, Rose. Wow. And then I had a mountain of mashed potatoes. And I went back for ice cream three times. Oh. I'm, I'm stuffed. I'm absolutely full. I cannot eat another thing. Want to give me a hand? Yeah. 
Jimmy. The dad's going off to work, and he gives up his meal to take care of his daughter. That, that touches us. That's, that's love. That is true kindness. And what God does is he keeps bringing us to intersections in our life where we have to choose. Are we going to hold on to what's most important to us or give it up to him in faith? Trusting him like Abraham did with Isaac. This could be a person who's become more important to us than God. It could be a career, a job, a pursuit, a sum of money, or really anything that becomes more important to us than God himself. When we offer to God what's most valuable to us in this way, he always responds by providing more than you can imagine in return. For instance, God, God commands Christ followers to give a percentage of their income to remind them, and we're told in Deuteronomy 14, it's to remind us to keep him first in our lives. When you obey, he provides more than, more than you can imagine. You, you can't see how that works. It's, you give, and God, God gives in return, blesses. may not be exactly monetary, but... He takes care of you. You have enough. He promises if you put him and his kingdom first that you will have what you need in this life. And it, I've seen this over and over again in my own life and the lives of many others. He commands us to love others with a sacrifice, sacrificial love, our, our husbands, wives, kids, friends, co-workers. This means setting aside our own interests to serve their interests. When we love this way, we show others what God's like. And he comes through to provide for us. This is what faith is. We surrender to God what's most important to us. He wants us to give ourselves to him. This is what he's waiting to do. In our life. He's waiting. We, we were made by him. We've rebelled. And he's, he's, he's hoping that the trouble in life and the frustration and all that life brings would, would bring us to turn around from going our own way and give our lives to him. And then he works in and through us to show the rest of the world what he's like. But this is, this is faith. We surrender what's important to us to God, trusting him to provide what we need. And the best outcome as we do things his way. Abraham didn't understand how giving up his only son, who was the son of promise, would make sense or fit within God's plan to bless the nations. Yet he responded in faith because God commanded him to do that. Abraham trusted God would provide even though he didn't know it. He didn't know how it would work out, and God proved himself faithful. There, there's an old hymn that I've sung many times. I still sing it. It's on, my, it's on a playlist of mine. <laughs> and it's called Trust and Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust 
and obey, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. Tremendous amount of truth in that line. We will never prove the love of God or the faithfulness of God if we hold back from him what's rightfully his. When someone is made by someone else, it's right that they own you. But God wants us to choose that. He, he wants us to choose to give ourselves to him. He doesn't, he doesn't want a plastic relationship. He wants it to be real. Healthy relationships are, I choose to, to love you and you choose to love me. God chooses to love us. We choose to love him back. And so what we find is as we walk through life, we will never know God and the delights of his love until we give it all to him. Till we lay it all on the altar. God takes the initiative to know us, to grow us, to give to us. And if we respond in faith and surrender what's most valuable to us and give it to him, he proves himself to be faithful time and time and time again. He meets our deepest needs. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take out the connection card that's in the program. And uh, you may have began to fill it out earlier, but I'd like to ask you, if you would, take the time to complete anything that you haven't been able to and would like to. And then when the offering ushers uh, come around, you can drop a card in the offering basket. Here are some next steps that I'm suggesting today. And you may have others that came to mind as we're as I was walking through the message. But one step is to trust God to provide the help as I face something unknown, some circumstance. Ask, ask God, trust him for help. And then another step would be to surrender my and fill in the blank. Something important to you that's taken the place of God. Maybe your family. Maybe some of money. Maybe your future. You're trying to hold on to it. Surrender it to God and choose faith in that area. Next week, we're going to look at the rescue. And we're going to answer some questions like, what do I do with the hurts I've experienced in life? And what can I expect God to do to help in the midst of hard circumstances? What can I expect from him? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth that you have shown us in the life of Abraham. And for the faith he chose and the faith that challenges us, God, to, to give to you ourselves and the things that are very valuable to us, to trust you with them and allow you to, to work in our hearts, to provide and grow us. Lord, thank you. We honor you. May you be pleased as we worship you now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.